Hello people and welcome to the People Building Podcast where today I will be sharing with you the story of Caroline Holkey and how she went through a 10 million year breakup. Now if you are wondering how it's possible for anyone to be in a relationship for 10 million years, let me tell you that people, humans, have been drinking alcohol for approximately 10 million years. And as Caroline quite rightly puts it in the show, alcohol is the only drug you take to prove you don't have a problem with it, which is crazy. So I have a very tricky, very tricky relationship with alcohol because um, it's a problem in my family. And I don't want to dive into all of that right now, listen to what Caroline has to say. You will hear snippets. Uh, there's a point where I'm talking about my dad's relationship with alcohol and even then found it really difficult to say that he was an alcoholic because he was a social drinker. It's that time of year. So I'm recording this a few days before Christmas, even though I actually recorded the show with Caroline a good few months ago. Um, and I know it's that time of year when people are drinking socially and maybe even binge drinking. And, um, I don't know how much of that is a problem. I still don't really know how much of that is a problem. But there are some real pearls from Caroline throughout this episode. And I figured it was a relevant time to share this one with you. So you're going to hear a lot about how our beliefs around alcohol may need to shift if we want to have a healthier relationship with it. When we come back on the other side of the show, I will pop back in, give you my summary, but I will also tell you some of the more challenging relationships that I have had in my family because of alcohol and because of the way in which people in my family drink and what that does for me psychologically. Because I feel like this one was just like really close to the wire for me, if I'm being completely honest. So I'm really interested to hear from other normal people. Like, how do normal people drink? Because I have no idea. Um, and uh, you're certainly going to hear what it was that motivated Caroline to make the decision to call it quits and to say enough is enough. So enjoy this conversation with the wonderful Caroline Holkey. Have yourselves a very merry and safe Christmas. Enjoy yourselves over New Year and drink responsibly. everybody welcome to the people building podcast today i have the pleasure of being joined by caroline holkey who is going to tell us about a very interesting journey that she has been on in her life which has um involved a breakup i'll say that much about it and we'll reveal more about what that breakup was and how it came to be as the podcast goes on uh, but for now everyone here is caroline welcome along caroline Thank you so much, Emma. It's so nice to be here. It's wonderful so I, to have you. Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and yeah. how you've come to be here. Okay, that sounds great. That sounds great. I um, 
Well, how I you you kind of led with the breakup, so I'll, I'll I'll give you a little bit a little bit of the backstory on that. And that is, I will say that I grew up in a household where everybody drank. Well, not the kids; the kids didn't drink, but um, my parents were young. They had a lot of good friends. They partied a lot, and and I watched that as a kid, and you know that those messages get seeded pretty early. Of oh. If I want to be grown up and adult, then I should drink too. And they're having so much fun. Yeah. So it became from a very early stage, it um that drinking equals fun, that equation was it was pretty cemented in my brain. Yeah. And and so that's all fine and well. It wasn't, you know, it's not one of those stories where there was anything terrible that happened in my childhood or anything. It was just that was one of those things. It was one of those messages that I absorbed. Um and I went on to work in corporate America. I was in global corporate marketing for over 20 years. Um, so I bring that up because I think that a lot of people would look, they would look at, you know, my outsides, because we can only see other people's yeah, sure. outsides. Um, and they would say, oh, well, you know, everything's fine over there. Mm-hmm. But I knew internally that it felt like, I was driving with the emergency brake on. Right. I knew that, and I knew that it had to do with my drinking. Okay. Okay. And I really became more attuned to that as things, as my life went on. And, um, and until eventually I got to the point where I said, you know, enough is enough. Yeah. And it's time to do something about this. It's time and to so, talk about this breakup. Let's talk about this relationship. <laughs> so now, it, has it taken you to a place where obviously you're speaking about it? Are you coaching other people through this? Yes. Uh, th- these breakups as well. Yeah, and and I will say very clearly that um, <clears throat> it was it's it's one of those conversations. I love the relationship <laughs> analogy <laughs> here, right? Um, it's one of those relationships where it's like we have to talk. Mm-hmm. This isn't working for me. Yeah. We need to figure something out. Yeah. Because I will say that I coach women on their relationship with alcohol. And, and sometimes that means a full breakup. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just means I need to create some boundaries around what I want. Mm-hmm. And I need to figure out how to stand by those boundaries and mm-hmm. how to hold those boundaries really tight. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to take you way back. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talked a little bit there about kind of growing up in a climate where um, alcohol was looked upon as something related to fun and it it was very good spirited. Um, And actually, I I had a similar experience as well growing up. Um, My dad was a very big drinker and people would ask me if I thought that he had alcoholism. And for a long time, I said no, because it was a social thing. And mm-hmm. he he was very good at even, it, it was like, I think he knew that there was a problem, but even he would say, it's only to be social. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is the thing, it was part of his connecting with his friends was done through alcohol. Mm-hmm. It was just very extreme. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. done in a very extreme way. Okay. So I, like you, was party to it as I was growing up. And so to me, it almost seemed like, well, that's probably what 
all families are doing right mm-hmm. oh yeah you know, everyone yeah. else is is going to be having the same sort of experience yeah. um and i even things like witnessing hangovers and you know the the ill effects that would come it was almost as if that was part of the fun of it like they they would laugh and joke about how terrible they felt the next day Mm -hmm. so even like a badge of honor yeah exactly so even that didn't seem unappealing um in in too many ways um so yeah i think from my perspective i was kind of seeing it as a friday saturday night type of the thing maybe saturday during the day sunday during the day but it was very much clustered over the weekend mm-hmm. and um and then it wasn't really anything that took place uh d- during the working week it seemed like the sensible hats went back on um mm-hmm. and so there was very much yeah very sort of clear boundaries around it in some ways mm-hmm. what was it like in in your household in your family um that's a great question i think i don't remember it being um it, it wasn't completely raucous it wasn't you know monday mornings or anything i would say there was kind of a constant drip drip it's from memory, yeah, I would say that. Maybe not in the beginning of the week, but certainly, you know, midweek it would yep. pick up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just what my <laughs> memory of 40 years ago or 50 yeah. years ago was. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you remember having your first drink? I do very much. I How do. I was, I was 13. Okay. And um, I'm sorry. You're quite young, you got started early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents were out of town, so we had a babysitter, and it was right. like, um, yeah, that was that was very exciting because it was, you know, we stayed up all night and um, kind of relished in the excitement of being so adult and grown up and <laughs> the whole thing. Yes. And was that, um, so was that particular incident one that you would look back on and see it as actually it was just a little bit of fun in that situation or were there any ill effects from having done it at such an early age? Did you have a hangover? I'm sure I had a hangover. I'm sure I did. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how I wouldn't. Um, I don't know that I had ill effects. I mean, I had ill effects from that moment. Um, I'm wondering if your question is, did that kind of start the ball rolling? Yeah. Um, and, and probably in some respect. Okay. I think that, I think the grind, the ground was really primed for that. Um, I will say it wasn't unique for me. I mean, I know some of my friends were doing the same thing and so, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it's, it was kind of the perfect storm of yes. all of it coming together. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And it, it's interesting as well, when I sort of look back on a similar period of my life, how, uh, so when I was growing up, I had parents and grandparents who smoked, but it was always very clear that that was a very bad thing to do. And they didn't want any of us grandchildren growing up and smoking like they did um and and actually we didn't um but it was a different 
uh, it was just like the relationship with alcohol was very different to the one with cigarettes. It was like mm-hmm. they would still smoke and they would still drink, but they knew that the cigarettes were bad. But at no mm-hmm. point was there um, any kind of programming coming in to say, actually, you probably want to avoid alcohol as well. Was right. that similar for you? Um, yeah, for sure. They they would say it on both. Um, I've always had the position that I think that, well, I know for me anyway, my belief has always been that I think that children watch what we do, not what we say. A hundred percent. And, um, you know, so their messaging was clear to not drink and not smoke, but, yeah. you know, it's like, I, I, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so then as you started to get older were you kind of out partying with friends was that when it started to take off a little bit yeah and I would say you know going to college through high school and college and even right out of undergrad um I was very much on par with all of my friends you know kind of drinking on the same level yeah and got married and started to have family, started to have a family. And, um, I would still say at that point, it was still pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. There are a couple occasions. There was one occasion where I was out with some girlfriends from work and for whatever reason, I noticed that one of them was not drinking as quickly. She wasn't keeping pace with the rest of us. Yeah. And it was just that little flash of, you know, I'm noticing it over here and I did have, and nothing happened that night. The next day, I remember sitting down and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder why I noticed that. Yeah. Why did I pick up on that? Mm-hmm. Is she pregnant? She's not pregnant, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and maybe that's what it was when it started, but on further reflection, I realized that you know, this was something that was kind of playing around in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. I was starting to question it, even though I wasn't vocally questioning it, I was noticing things. Sure. And I, and I like to think about this as, um, it's like almost like a little nudge of, Hey, look over here. Yeah. You know, it's like my inner wisdom is telling me something. (laughs) I use the analogy of I've never had the inclination to be, I I met somebody and they were talking about how their kid was going to be a meteorologist in the army. I was like, oh, that's so fascinating. You know, makes so much sense that you would need to have that specialty and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think it's fascinating how many different people have such different, unique, specific careers. And it's kind of cool. Now, the flip side of that is I have never had the inclination to be a meteorologist in the army. Like I never had that nudge. Yeah. And, and yet I had this nudge to kind of look at my drinking, like Mm -hmm. something's a little off here. Yeah. Let's trust that and Mm -hmm. see, see what's happening here. And I will say that, 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 you know, my journey has taken a long time. I think that drinking is, there's a moral aspect to it. Mm-hmm. There's a belief in our society that you either drink, you're either a normal drinker yeah. or you're not. Yeah. And like, there is nothing in between. And I don't believe anything in life is that black and white. Sure. Particularly when humans are involved. 
Mm. There's a lot of there's I mean, a lot we're, gray area, right? Yes, yes. I don't think that you know we're ignoring how multidimensional all of us are. Yeah. And you know, I think that there's a lot to, that goes with that, but um, the net result is that people end up suffering in silence for a really long time because they think that they need to have this rock bottom moment. Yeah. Like they need to have a drinking problem mm -hmm. and they ignore the problems that they're having with their drinking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious for you, when you, you talk about that initial nudge, looking back, do you think that was coming from um, a place of wondering about your health? Was it coming from a place of um, perhaps feeling that quantity was an issue? um regularity of the drinking like where do you think that initial nudge was coming from yeah i i think that my brother had gone through rehab a number of times and so i had seen and and, and i think that this also of course became part of my story as well is i mm -hmm. saw that you know the 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 solution is rehab and aa mm -hmm. period yeah <clears throat> therefore you need to have a big enough problem where you have an intervention where you have yeah. like you know you do these things mm -hmm. and um so i think for me that was always playing that was my concern yeah it was never a proactive this is to be healthier i know plenty of people are in that space yeah um but for me it was a i think that there may be something wrong here mm -hmm. or something's a little off yeah and, and frankly, it came to the point where it was, I deserve better. I don't have to drive. I don't have to feel like I'm driving with the emergency brake on all the time. Yeah. Like how amazing could life be if I didn't start the day groggy? Yeah. Half the time. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you went into a sort of corporate work environment. How did that end up having impact on your relationship with alcohol? Um, was that the point when you started to feel that things, because you, you were saying that you were married and you had your family and that it was, you know, you still had a sort of fairly consistent mm -hmm. relationship with alcohol, consistent with what other people around you would have. When yeah. did it start? Perhaps the nudges got a bit stronger. Yeah, I had. Um, so in twenty let's see, 2013, 2014, my husband had some health scares, mm -hmm. which is very stressful. And my brother committed suicide. Gosh, so thank you. Um, so I, that's where it really switched to a coping mechanism versus just social. Yeah. And, um, and that spilled over into a little bit into my job, mm -hmm. just this handling stress and all that stuff. But that's where, that's where things changed for me. And I noticed that it was, this isn't just social anymore. It's not that I'm drinking faster than other people. It's, I want, I'm using it to cope. It's my yeah. crutch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of, I guess it, it allows you to tap out from your emotions. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely which is a big thing that I coach my clients on now is, you know, I, <laughs> nobody, want, I don't, 
I haven't figured out a way to market. Let's let's feel our feelings because I don't think anybody really wants to buy that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, exactly. Let's knock them away. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but unfortunately, that's really what yeah. we're getting to. Yeah, and creating enough safety so that we can feel our feelings and yeah. process them and you know move on with life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I have um, a, a very specific friend that came to mind with something you said there who has been going through a big life changing set of circumstances. And uh, and, and that's happened more than once, you know, as, as it does for many of us. Life tends to throw us more than one curveball. Um, and she openly admits to using alcohol to she would say to get her to go to sleep at night yeah and I take that as code for when I try to go to sleep at night my brain gets busy with all the emotional stuff so I use the alcohol so that I can sedate yeah. myself yeah 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 and I think that uh, this comes up a lot yeah. that is a that's a very common belief that people have is that it helps me sleep yeah and but if you look at data, even if they have a Fitbit or whatever, the yeah. data would show that they sleep a lot better without it. A hundred percent. Yeah. But when they have that belief, and that's a lot of what I do too, with my help, my clients see is like, as long as you have the belief that you're not going to have any fun without alcohol, or you're not going to be able to sleep and all these things, then I don't care how many tricks and hacks and <laughs> whatever tools I give you. When you still have those beliefs, you're going to rubber band back to that behavior. Yeah. Because your body's just going to say, I have to have fun. Like life, yeah. that's the point of life. And I have to sleep. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. here's the solution here. So that's where, you know, working on these underlying beliefs really helps. Mm. That's did where you we yourself, did you have to go through a belief change process to, yes. to where yes. you are? Yes. And what was that like? Absolutely. I, um, I, well, in, I like to say that my last hangover was in August of 2016. Okay. I was on a work trip. I was in London and at the, on our, the last night of our trip, um, everybody went out. There was lots and lots and lots of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And, um, I woke up the next morning just feeling awful. I mean, awful. Um, I had, you know, I, one of the, one of my colleagues had made a pass at me. I had, you know, pushed him off and all that stuff. But that next day I, I just went through the what ifs, mm -hmm. you know, what if I'd had a little bit more, what if I hadn't like, you know, who knows, whatever. Mm -hmm. At that point I was like, that's it. Yeah. And so I downloaded a book. This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And I read that on the plane home. Um, and I started at that point of really and truly, mm. I was like, we're going to do something about this. Yeah. Um, and that process is different for everybody, but typically most people will start with the rules, which is I'm only going to have two, or I'm only going to drink on the weekends, or I'm going to have a glass of water in between each drink, da, 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 da all good and well. Um, most, most of the time that doesn't work because it's based upon willpower. Yes. Which we, you don't have much of once you've had some alcohol. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, that's an even better point because you've, you know, the alcohol has impacted your, the central nervous system. And so your, your prefrontal cortex is completely offline at that point. So, yeah. Um, and it hasn't addressed the underlying beliefs. So back to kind of my previous point of, if I, if I believe that I will be boring, if I don't have this third glass, if I don't have the shot, then I mean, that's, that's hard to combat. But if I pull back and look at how freaking boring is it to spend a day in London laying in bed because you feel like you feel terrible. I mean, that's pretty boring. Yeah. (laughs) That is not how I wanted to do it. No. Um, So I started with the rules. I realized that I could only take that so far. Um, and then I started working with a coach and that's what really, really changed things for me because then I started understanding how the brain works, Mm -hmm. how there's nothing wrong with me, that this was completely normal. And I mean, just normalizing that in and of itself Mm -hmm. was such a gift to me because there is such a weighty moral issue associated with drinking, particularly in the U S I mean, we've got such a crazy history of prohibition. Like we've got this temperance movement and we've got, I don't know. And it's just, yeah. I mean, I know that people all over the world drink for sure. I mean, I have got clients all over the world, so I know that, but, (laughs) um, but I know that we all have our own special combination of baggage that we bring to the table. Of course. Yeah. Do you think, so your story really comes from a negative situation that kind of pushed you to taking Mm -hmm. action in in the right direction. I'm going to make a guess, but feel free to correct me if I'm not on the right track here. I'm going to say that most people who decide that they want to go through a breakup or a significant change in their relationship with alcohol land at that point because something bad has happened or Mm -hmm. there's been it's been more of a negative motivation motivator rather Mm -hmm. than because I want to be really healthy right right I would agree with that I would agree with that um I think that that can be a that can be a powerful moment to look in the mirror and say we're going to do something yeah I will also say there are many, many times that we go through that, mm. that, you know, today I'm going to change today. It's going to be different. And, you know, kind of staying on that, that merry-go-round, that mm. hamster, I'll call it a hamster wheel. Cause a merry-go-round is kind of fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that day in of it's going to change and then not quite getting there. And then beating yourself up because you fell down and, you know, then feeling terrible because you're beating yourself up. And so then you want to drink and there we go again. Yeah. So is there, from what you've seen or even in your own experience, is there a kind of number of times that people might um, get back on the hamster wheel before they really reach the point of enough is enough? Like that's, that's really it now. Well, the key really, it isn't the number of times mm-hmm. it's really addressing those underlying beliefs. Yeah. So like if you were learning how to ride a bike, 
you know that you can watch a YouTube video and you can read a book and you can listen to a podcast and all that kind of stuff, but you're really not going to learn how to ride the bike until you get on the bike. And you're going to like figure out how to get your balance and you're going to fall down a couple of times and all that stuff. Yeah. That's part of the process. Yes. But there's never any point for the most part, there's really not a, there's not a, uh, a moment where you think I'm never going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Like if I just keep putting in the time, figuring out my balance, I will get there. Yeah. What happens with drinking, with our relationship with drinking or with any sort of material change is most of the time when we fall down, we say, forget it. I'm I'm never going to figure this out. I'm not going to do it. Mm. And then we give up on that opportunity to keep getting back on the bike and like working out our balance and all that stuff. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Is it because something like drinking is so socially acceptable that it's almost like you're going against the grain. If you choose to stop, you become Mm -hmm. the weirdo, you know, if you're the person that's not drinking, if, Mm -hmm. if you're amongst people that normally do, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I say this from my experience, not because I'm calling you a weirdo. Yeah, no, 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 (laughs) no. I mean, I think that that's well articulated. I think that that comes up quite a bit. It's, um, I think it's because of the identity shift that's required. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just learning a skill. It's actually, I'm changing myself as a person in some ways. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do when we address these underlying beliefs that we've had since we were two years old or yeah. four-year-olds or whatever it is mm. that becomes, that becomes an inherent part of your identity, a part of your belief system. Yeah. And a belief is really just something that we thought over and over and over again, and we've accepted as our own. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Do you think there are um, almost uh, cultural beliefs around alcohol? So not just our own individual beliefs, but like mm-hmm. culturally, mm-hmm. we hold beliefs about alcohol. Like this is acceptable. Absolutely. This is part of socializing. Absolutely. So that's that's going to make it even more challenging. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but I would also say that there are a lot of cultural beliefs that, you know, that we very openly do not agree with, sure. you know, yeah. um, I will say that a lot of my, a lot of the people that I've met on this journey, my clients, peers, all that stuff, there's actually a little bit of rebellion in all of us. Yeah. And so I will say that tapping into that little piece of me yeah. was really helpful. So I actually, so I started on the journey. I actually moderated for about three and a half years. And then at the beginning of COVID in March of 2020, yeah. um, I decided that little rebel- rebellious streak kicked in yeah. and I saw everybody else just going face first into their cocktails. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I mean, I, that was one aspect of it. The other aspect was I had read that, um, alcohol is actually like pouring gasoline on anxiety. Mm -hmm. Okay. March of 2020, who's not anxious at that point. Right. Um, so that two combinate that combination of those two things, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a hundred days off, Mm -hmm. see what happens. And, you know, frankly, 
I am still doing that. I haven't quit drinking. I will have a sip every now and then. I was on vacation yeah. last week. I ordered a glass. I drank a little bit of it. Yeah. It wasn't whatever. It was fine. Yeah. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't really want it. So yeah. I think that's the best position to be in because you never feel deprivation from something you don't want. No, no, absolutely. Right? And how about in terms of other people's reactions to your decision? So did you find any of those um, challenging in any ways or, you know, were people generally quite accepting? I, again, sort of thinking of my own circumstances, um, I, I would say I'm very similar to you. I don't not drink, but I don't drink. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have alcohol in my house, but 99% of the time I would choose not to have it. Right. And it's, it's very rare for me to drink anything these days. Um, I'm also still conscious of when I socialize, I will deliberately construct circumstances that allow me to not have to make excuses for the fact that I don't want to drink. So I will offer to drive, for example, mm, okay, and okay. pick everybody up because I know that um, it, in a way, it's probably peer pressure can still affect me okay. and that I might still find myself keeping up with other people when I hadn't wanted to. Or mm. I had an incident um, really only a few weeks ago when I was at a friend's house and, and they just moved house they were celebrating there was a bottle of champagne um and I said I only want a little bit uh because they know I don't drink very much which I had and then I turned around and they'd refilled my glass for me without asking permission um and and then I felt obliged to drink it because they'd already done it. And just like all of these kind of um, social etiquettes were sort of getting in the way of me being firm in, as firm in my decision as I would have liked. So did you have any of those sorts of challenges cross your path? Mm. Um, I, I didn't. I When those come up, I see that as, well, I will say, a lot of people didn't even notice. Yeah. Like my, <laughs> uh, sorry. I said, that's handy. Yeah. I, I mean, actually there is a, a term in psychology that's called the spotlight effect mm -hmm. where we think that everybody is watching us. Yeah. But a picture of the stage where everybody's got the spotlight on them and you can't yeah. see outside of that spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's really watching us as much as we're watching ourselves. Yeah. So I, um, so nobody really noticed. I also kind of let them own their feelings about that. Yeah. Um, so I took all of this, this whole journey as an opportunity to learn more about myself and um, kind of own what I wanted to own. Yeah. Like if they feel uncomfortable. I serve alcohol in my house. We've got a mm -hmm. huge bar, all that kind of stuff. Um, I have absolutely no problem with other people drinking. I just, you know, it, it'd be, it's just like black licorice. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I just it's don't like, want it, yeah. you know, and I don't, it's fine when, if you want it, have it. That's yeah. I mean, when I don't drink it, that means that's more for you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I do have, I think that what you're describing though, is very common. Mm -hmm. I had a 
client who, who didn't want other people to know that she was cutting back on her drinking. Mm -hmm. And so, because that she didn't want people to think that she had a problem. Okay. Okay. So think about how this is how it gets in our head. Mm. We say that alcohol is the only drug that we have to take in order to prove that we don't have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. Picture that with heroin. Yeah. That's not or cocaine <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. You wouldn't even question it. No. Right. Um, so I, I had a client who didn't want people to think that she had a problem with drinking. So she would tell them that she was hungover right. from the night before. And that's why she wasn't drinking. Wow. <laughs> right. I mean, 10 out of 10 for creativity. I would not have come up with that one. <laughs> but right. <laughs> but aren't we just reinforcing what you're telling them that you don't want them yeah. to know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're making it up. <laughs> How about addressing the people pleasing behavior right there? Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that is the part that um, I found challenging is mm -hmm. almost kind of uh, regulating other people's emotions about my decisions for my body. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, in terms of where you are in your journey now, you're not still doing your hundred days, right? but um, did you do the full 100 days and how was that? Yeah, no, I did. I did. And, um, I had done enough. I had been moderating for three and a half years. Yeah. So I had a lot of the groundwork yeah. there for me. Um, you know, there were some points where it felt a little, I felt a little bit of discomfort, but I look at discomfort as really as a signal that things are changing and going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I love that feeling after I've worked out after you know, if I haven't been to the gym in a while and I work out and I, and you get that like yeah. buildup of lactic acid, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I actually, I'm doing something. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. working. <laughs> Absolutely. That's mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. um, and if you got now for your um, clients that you coach through this, is there a kind of step-by-step -step process that you go through with them? Is there a kind of point-by-point -point methodology that you've developed around this now? Yeah, I work with clients one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so everybody's a little bit different, which yeah. I love being able to do that. I love being able to, you know, if somebody shows up and they're having an issue with their husband or ex-husband or kid or whatever, we can address that because I really love to, let's talk about what's causing the stress that's driving you to drink. Yeah. Let's figure out that out. Yeah. And we talk about that. Mm. much more so than here are the mechanics of how many drinks you want to have and this, that, and the other thing. Those are all important sure. for sure, but really taking ownership of how my client is showing up in the world and like what they can control and what they can't, which really all comes down to how they are interpreting the, the events around them. Yeah. But most of us don't know that. Most of us don't know that we can apply the same critical thinking skills that we know to use on other on art and literature and fashion or whatever, that we can apply those same skills upon our own thinking, mm. reflect those back on ourselves. Because once we start doing that, then it's like, oh my gosh, do yeah. I really want to keep this belief that, you know, that 
drinking equals fun. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, maybe that's not an absolute. Yeah. If I pull back, I've got pictures of the night at the bar, but I don't have pictures of throwing up the next day. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't, we don't include that in the, in the whole montage of on Instagram. <laughs> it's so funny you say about that. So I was out with some friends just last week and one of them I'd taken a holiday with, um, gosh, years ago, probably 15 years ago, if, if not more, 15, 20 years ago. And we had this really fateful night on holiday where um, we were overseas. So the shots of alcohol that are served are typically much bigger than we're used to um, in, you know, the sort of very well-measured bar drinks that you might have here. And so we'd not really accounted for that. And I think we'd skip lunch. So we'd not really accounted for that. And then we went to a very nice restaurant and had a very nice dinner, but it wasn't a substantial dinner. Yeah. So we'd not really accounted for that. And we were still drinking these very, very strong drinks. Anyway, fast forward to uh, later that night and my friend became very sick. And one of the things that we'd had at dinner was um, like a spinach dish. So it's like a spinach and cream and garlic and all of this. And we were sharing a room with her sister as well. So three, three of us in the room. And the next morning when we got up and checked the bathroom, she had destroyed the bathroom with spinach. Mm -hmm. And so it became a bit of a, a legacy story amongst our friendship group. Anyway, last week we went out for dinner. Now as slightly more grown up uh, people. And uh, this was when I did my designated driver role. So I wasn't drinking. Um, but at the table, uh, we ordered. Um, so that wine was ordered for the others that were there. And I also ordered a spinach dish. And my friend said to me, are you sure you want to order the spinach? given you know the sort of infamous story of uh -huh. what happened that night and and I was thinking I don't think it was the spinach that was the problem no <laughs> but you're still ordering the wine <laughs> right 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 oh yeah oh yeah that, that definitely happens <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I think about how I mean it, it I don't this laying giving credit where it's not due, I think it's interesting. It's making me think of how we have been kind of trained to see carbs in such a bad light. Yeah. And like, you know, it, it's like you shame yourself for having a, a piece of bread and yet polish off a bottle of wine without a problem. Like yeah. it's two different <laughs> things. It reminds me of when my kids were little and they'd say, oh, I've had enough, but I could have, I've got room for dessert. <laughs> and, and one of them, I can't remember if my son or my daughter said, oh yeah, that's a different area of my stomach. Wow. Like, that's for great. the sweets. <laughs> okay, okay. But I think that we think that too, as adults, a hundred percent, you know, yeah. Or, or, or like the regimen that we go through for our face and we work out, we, you know, we do the face regimen and work out and wouldn't touch a piece of of bread. Yeah. And then it's a different part of our brain for sure <laughs> that like can justify the, the wine and that's undoing a lot of the things that we just worked so hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for most of your clients, are they, 
um, seeking help because they are taking the edge off with alcohol because of stress? Or are they leaning more towards this is my social party downtime? Um, and I'm kind of curious, you know, again, sort of thinking back to my uh, family circumstances, I know that my dad would have said, yeah, it's my social, it's my yep. connection, it's with my friends. But yep. actually looking back now, I would really say, no, no, there was some issues there. They were definitely, mm -hmm. so you were taking the edge off mm -hmm. um, of whatever those issues were mm -hmm. and kind of labeling it up as a social party fun time thing. It really was just a label. It it, it yeah. wasn't actually serving that purpose. What, right. what do you do with the people that you work with? Um, I think that, well, people come to me for a bunch of different reasons. I would pr probably say all of the above. Um, but in the social situation in particular, what I would say, what I would kind of probe in is what is, what's wrong with, you know, just sticking with two, like you, mm -hmm. you've, you've got a stated goal to not feel like terrible the next day. You've kind of figured out your edge mm -hmm. is two is fine. Or one is fine. Whatever your number is, right. Everybody's a little bit different and how much you've eaten and all that kind of stuff. So let's say She's decided it's two. Yeah. Okay. So let's get curious about what's wrong with sticking with two. What's hard about that? A lot of times things that come up are, I don't want to be boring. I don't want my friends to think I have a problem. I don't want this, that, and the other thing. And, and it all boils down to, I don't want, like I'm avoiding these negative emotions. It's just mm -hmm. easier to give in. Yeah. Yeah. And so then that's, that's the area that we probe into. Let's talk about that. Is that easier? Really? Mm. Like if you, you see the whole picture, let's pull back and, and see the whole picture. If maybe in that split second, it's easier. Yeah. But if we consider the ramifications the next day, because yeah. you came to me for a reason. Yeah. Right. And, and then all of a sudden, okay. She can see it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And that helps just in that moment that helps. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that we talk about from a social perspective. Yeah. Do you get many people who are drinking alone? I have, um, I think there, there are a handful of people. Yeah. 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 Is the um, strategies that you might use with those people any different? Um, no, not necessarily. Actually, I'm thinking of a client who doesn't, she figured out how to stop drinking out when she goes out socially. Okay. So she only drinks at home like one night a week mm -hmm. and it's totally stress related. Right. So, you know, actually when we first met, one of the things that struck me was, you know, how, I think of a lot of the work that I do is like pattern recognition, mm -hmm. like, oh, this doesn't, this is a little unusual. This is not what I normally see. Yeah. Like you've figured out how to do a lot of the outward facing stuff. You've already done that work. That means that you're capable of doing it. Yeah. So that's important to note. Yeah. Right. Because we have to like gather these little, these, these pieces of evidence that Absolutely. we have what it takes to make yeah. the changes. Yeah. And, um, 
So really and truly it's about going so deep into what is the stress? What is, what is going on for you? And how do you want to frame it? Mm. Is that what you want to do? Like if it truly is stress that if there are some emotions there that need to be processed, let's process those emotions. Let's yeah. work on creating safety for yourself so that you can, you can get that out. Yeah. And cause our, we've lived through hundred percent of the negative emotions that we felt. Mm. Our body knows how to handle them. Yeah. We just don't allow our bodies the time to do that. And, um, but so often it's the combination of going ahead and processing these feelings that have been suppressed for so long and really starting to call bullshit on some of the thinking that we've had yeah, that we've carried forward for many, 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 many years. Yeah. And we believe it because it's in our own voice. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I think the benefit of having an outsider looking in on that, having a coach for something like that is so valuable because it, you know, that saying you can't see the wood for the trees, like mm -hmm. this is the wood and you are in amongst your own trees. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. It's I mean, I, I like to, to use the, of yourself, isn't it? And to be so yeah. about yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really important to say is that we're saying these things. We believe, we believe ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> we do. <laughs> now, Imagine the situation where, and I'll, I'll poke fun at, you know, we're at a family dinner and, you know, the trope of, I'll just call him an uncle, whatever. Yeah. Somebody comes up and says something completely outrageous, yeah. sexist, racist, whatever. Yeah. You're like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not going to put up with that. But we say stuff like that to ourselves. Yes. We're not good enough. I'm an idiot. I'm never going to figure this out. Yeah. And if that guy said that, you'd be like, uh-uh. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> There's a story that I tell my clients, which really ties in with that self-talk. Um, because I think in the beginning, when you sort of first introduce people to, to that concept, it can be quite overwhelming. And then they're thinking about their thinking and they don't know whether they'll ever get a handle on it. And I had this uh, one incident that I tell people about where I came home from work and I'd left the washing up that morning. I'd got up late, hadn't done the washing up. So there was a pile there waiting for me when I came home and I was already tired and I was hungry. And so instantly, you know, the voices, oh, I've left that washing up there. Now you've got to do it. Now when you're tired, now when you're hungry and there it is, if you'd have done it this morning, rah, 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 like this anyway. So I did the washing up. I emptied out the uh, washing up bowl. So the water was gone and then I turned around and there was one bowl that I'd missed. And it, my inner voice went, so now we've got to fill up the whole sink again to wash up one more bowl. And I caught myself saying it to myself and was able to interrupt it and go, we're just washing up a bowl though, aren't we? It's yeah. really not that bad. And yeah. I made myself laugh out loud because I realized how dramatic I was being in my mm -hmm. own head mm -hmm. and how tense I was making myself in that moment over something that was so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think we can all get to a stage where we're better moderators of mm -hmm. what's going on in there, but mm -hmm. it, it does take some practice, right? Yeah, it does. It does.
And I, I mean, it goes back to like being willing to be wrong. Yes. Like I, I it's, it's fascinating. I think we all do that. We argue for our own limitations. <laughs> like, why are we doing this? <laughs> why? Let's, let's take a step back. And I think laughter is a great, great um, tool. Yeah. The, um, I also like to think of, you know, the primitive brain in some respects is like that pouty teenager that comes in and you know, wants the $1,400 iPhone. It's like, mm, no. <laughs> so like, yeah. I use that one with my clients about the drinks. Like, really? I think so. I mean, I get it that you're yeah. asking, but nice it's try. <laughs> That's a no. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Um, I'm curious to ask your opinion on something. So this was, and I don't remember which one, which is frustrating me now, but I was watching um or listening to a podcast and uh, there were a couple of coaches being interviewed around um, helping people with alcoholism. So real alcohol dependency issues Mm -hmm. that had gone through AA or Mm -hmm. something similar. Um, But the, I guess the uh, purpose of this coaching that they were then being offered was around reintroducing them to alcohol again, but in a, I'm doing air quotes, like a safe way. Mm -hmm. So in a way that um, you can go to a bar and maybe have a couple of pints and then go home. Mm -hmm. And so they would take their client uh, to do that um, Mm -hmm. and be with them and kind of coach them through it and talk to them how they were feeling about it at the time. Um, And yeah, it was almost like a sort of bringing them back to alcohol, but in a socially safe, personally safe, health safe kind of a way. And when I heard about it, I really had like a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder. I had very mixed feelings about it Mm -hmm. because it was, I guess on one hand, I was thinking, well, these are people that really do have an alcohol dependency or have had an alcohol dependency. Yeah. We're kind of tempting fate a little bit by uh, waving the thing that they've been most addicted to in front of them and sort of luring them back in is that dangerous versus you know the other part of me going no but they should be able to do that you Mm. should be able to have something that you enjoy without being fully addicted to it Mm -hmm. and I still don't think I've quite drawn my final opinion (laughs) yeah yeah what my reaction I'm curious about yours I think I think that the fact that they have a clinical de- dependency mm-hmm. changes my answer a little bit. Yeah. Because in that case, I would say why? Yeah. It's not like we need alcohol to survive. Mm-hmm. I know from personal experience, I have more fun without it. Yeah. I can be more present, you know, so that would be my question be, why would that be important? Mm. Now, another person who is not clinically dependent, who is just finding out like very similar to where I was Mm. that I have a different answer for that. Mm -hmm. In that case, I feel like the label of alcoholism is, you know, I don't, I guess I, I don't go into the camp of believing that 
I don't believe in labels. I don't believe that they're helpful like that. Now, some people do. Yeah. Some people can just say, no, this is a hard line. I'm not going over there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to include alcohol and I'm going to include sugar and I'm going to include sure. black licorice or whatever, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> but I actually, I'm going to take that black licorice off the list because I prefer to work in the space of recognizing, um, you know, how the brain works. Mm-hmm. So if I've got a neural pathway that says that when I get home at five o'clock, I have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really encourage my clients to keep that ritual, mm-hmm. but just change out what's in the glass. Yeah. Okay. Continue to have like, continue to mark that as the end of your work day. And this is the end. This is the start of your evening at home. Yes. Have a beautiful glass. Yeah. Make a beautiful mocktail, have some club soda and what, what, you know, yeah. lime, lime or whatever, but yeah. keep the ritual. Yes. Yeah. that's important, but is what's important is what's in your glass really that important? Yeah. It's interesting you say that it it makes me think about, um, so I, I work with a few people who give up smoking and one of the things that they might say is that they enjoy having the break in their day the social aspect that comes with, you know, the cluster of the other smokers that are outside who they get chatting with. Um, and they'll be able to list a, a good few benefits, which I can't dispute are definitely benefits. You know, mm-hmm. having a break in your day is, is definitely a good thing. Yeah. You know, connecting with other people is absolutely a good thing. So uh, what I work to do then is to encourage them to still do those things. Yeah, Totally but without a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. I, I, a thousand percent. I mean, it's understanding what the need is address the need in a different way mm-hmm. because you know, a lot of people will say that very similar to what you're describing there is like, that's alcohol is the connection point. Yeah. Like, are you truly connected mm-hmm. when you're sitting around with a bunch of friends and you're kind of not even with it? Yeah. You don't even remember the whole conversation the next day or it's yeah. a little fuzzy. Yeah. Is that connection? Really? Because true connection is making sure that whoever you're with is feeling seen, heard, and understood. Yeah. Yeah. And when you've kind of taken part of your prefrontal cortex offline yeah. from the substance, how, how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very fair point. Mm-hmm. How is what you do different to something like AA? So I, um, I help my clients create the relationship that they want with alcohol. Mm-hmm. AA is absolutely no way, no how, yeah. period. It's also very much of a cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. So I, my clients are not at the point where it is a cl- clinical dependency. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's an emotional dependency to some degree, but we work on that. Mm-hmm. And if she wants to go out and have a couple of glasses of wine at night, there's no reason why that's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. Do you do the work with them as well around if they're going to do it, doing it in the safest possible way or the healthiest possible way? Is that part of what yep. you might discuss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it's understanding in the beginning, um, 
it's really what I see is there are kind of three phases. The first phase is when a client comes to me, she's pretty much, you know, she's at her last straw. Mm-hmm. She's tried a bunch of other things and they haven't worked. It's like, okay, fine. I'll do this. Yeah. I've seen enough of Caroline's posts. I'm going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, and so she's really beating herself up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So that first stage is really about reestablishing self-trust. Mm-hmm. That's so critical. And then, and we do that through a def- couple different tools about just me talking to her about my experience, not only for myself, but for all the people that I work with Yeah, and just helping her feel normal. Mm. That is so, that is so helpful. But then she starts to, I give her some tools that she starts working with mm-hmm. and, you know, deciding ahead of time what she's going to drink. Yeah. It's very, it's different than the rules mm-hmm. because she's done it 24 hours in advance. Yeah. And she's definitely using the prefrontal cortex. She's also recommitting to it before she goes out. And she's doing it not because of the number of drinks. She's doing it because she wants to be a woman that keeps her word to herself. Yeah. That higher order benefit, really, that is very enticing. Yeah. When you place that on level with that third glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, and I guess it's important to that um, not having that third glass of wine is not seen as a punishment. Yeah, yeah. That actually the, the, what, what you're doing that for or your motivation or what you get on the other side of that is a yeah. reward in itself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and to that point, actually, we do get dopamine from doing something that we say that we're going to do. Yeah. Like completing a job. Yeah. So there's dopamine. Yes. There's dopamine from that wine, but there's also that dopamine that from feeling proud of ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the opposite's true. If you don't do what you said you were going to do, you know, you're going to have a dopamine shortfall then because you you realize that actually I I can't keep my word to myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that is a really sensitive moment too, where working through all the judgment that comes up Mm. and learning how to set that aside, you know, in honor of the, the, the bigger picture, Mm. you know, that it's already happened. Yeah. It's not going to help to beat myself up over it more. So let's figure out what happened so that we can learn from it moving forward. Yeah. Like, Let's pretend like we're in sixth grade and this is the science experiment kind of a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's no judgment. Yeah. It happened. And what can we learn? How can we be smarter? Yeah. hundred percent. So seeing those, um, well, is a blip, seeing a blip as a blip and Mm -hmm. not making it any more dramatic than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, nobody's, nobody's journey is linear period. So you know, and we know that intellectually, but we all kind of say, but I'm going to be different. Yeah. And I'm going to beat the hell out of myself when I'm not like, (laughs) what? Let's just skip that part. (laughs) hundred percent. How long does it normally take? I'm guessing it's, it's going to be different for different people. Everyone's Yeah. Yeah. But your your mileage may vary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think it, it will be different for everybody, but I do have a 12 week program. Okay. Um, and that is, 
you know, that seems to be the right amount of time. I am, I'm looking at data right now and trying to figure out if maybe I extend that a little bit more because quite a few people have, they do re-up. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, maybe out of the gate six months is, I don't know, I'm playing with that idea, but right now it's 12 weeks. Yeah. Okay. Is there, um, from what you've seen, is it sustainable? You know, when someone's been through a program like that, are they set for life or, um, might they need a, like a top up later Mm -hmm. on down the line? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the tools really, if they've, they've, if they've committed to using the tools and really learning them, then those are sustainable. Sure. Absolutely. Now, I do have a number of people that will just have one-offs every now and then like, oh, I'm running into this. I just need an outside. I need somebody that's outside of my brain to help me see where I'm, I'm caught up with something. Sure. Yeah. But a lot of times those things have come up on not necessarily drinking related. There are other things that have come up. So like the life happens kind of stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, again, going back to a, a smoking client that I worked with, I remember there was this one lady who, um, so she came, we did this a session together for a couple of sessions. She stopped smoking. And about six weeks later, she sent me a message and said, um, I'm really disappointed. I've started smoking again. I really need to come back and see you. Um, and we got talking and I said, you know, what happened in that time? Because you you did so well for so long. So I'm really interested to know, you know, was there anything in your life? And she said, no, no, not really. I mean, I was under a lot of pressure at work and then my son got expelled from school and she kind of listed off all of this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I, I probably would have had a cigarette as well. And I don't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Did she some, see it when she said it out yeah, loud? When, when yeah. I kind of relayed it back to her, she was like, yeah, fair point. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, but I mean, it, it, to your point, like you don't, we don't unlearn the things that we've learned. Of course. It's, I mean, sometimes we forget them. Yeah. <laughs> we need to be reminded. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. If I do that. Yeah. yeah that, 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 that seems to work. Or reaction them again. You know, sometimes uh, people just need to go back to that new good habit that they'd been carving out for themselves and just get mm-hmm. themselves back into that groove again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, so what are the sorts of things I'm wondering if there are sort of other positive spin-offs that people experience in their lives once they've made the decision to change their relationship with alcohol? Yeah, it is pretty big. Um, I think of the opportunity cost that alcohol really takes on us. It becomes quite a drain. Yeah. On us. Um, and so when we, when we right size that, then what I see very typically is an increase in energy, mm-hmm. um, really feeling more empowered about, you know, being able to achieve this, being able to conquer this Yeah, is a, that's amazing. And then channeling that because these tools really work for anything else, any other goal. Um, so that feeling of empowerment, I've seen changes in relationships because again, like I, I don't have to put up with these things that I don't need to put up with. Yeah. And 
you know, what happens very often is when people get their relationship with alcohol where they want it, when they feel like they're hundred percent in control versus at the effect of it, yeah. then they, um, first what happens is, and this is, this is kind of a, a tenuous moment where they look around and they're like, well, no shit. I was drinking. <laughs> like now I know why, <laughs> because I don't like this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. That's so interesting. And, and so that is really actually a kind of an exciting moment because let's go ahead and fix it. Yeah. Let's not put more, you know, duct tape on it or spackle or whatever, you know, um, let's go ahead and fix it and figure it out and make, yeah. you know, make it so that I love the idea of like creating this life that you don't want to numb out of. Mm -hmm. How many people come to me and they're like, I can't deal with it. I can't wait until this point of the day where I just get to check out. Mm. Like, let's look at the other side of that. What if your life was so amazing that you don't want to, Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to miss any of it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're going to see, I don't know, Oprah or like your favorite person. Yeah. You're like, I, I don't want to miss any of it. Yeah. I'm here. I'm totally present for it. Not all of it's going to be amazing, mm. but I'm, it's real. Yeah. And that is that in and of itself is amazing. Yeah. I bet. Do you think it changes people maybe even on a personality level? And the reason I ask about that was something that you said that made me think about the NLP training that I do where we teach people to become coaches, but it's also a self-development course in itself. And so they'll clear out lots of their old skeletons from the closet and uh, typically come out the other side of it feeling much more confident, much more empowered. And all of that sounds lovely and amazing. And uh, I have a habit unfortunately, of people then reporting back to me a few months later that they're splitting up with their significant other. Mm. And it's normally because they've gone back and it's like they've taken off the gray tinted spectacles and, and see things, see or rose tinted spectacles more, more likely to see things as they really are. And yeah. they realize, actually, no, <laughs> this is yeah. not the one. Yeah. And so it yeah. brings the relationship to an end because it's, they've, maybe not changed as a person but they've evolved in some way mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. you can see where their values are not aligned and they're not scared of saying so mm -hmm. or they're not scared of taking the action to step away once they've realized that in the same way that they might have been before okay. and I'm wondering if there's a sort of similar experience that some of your coaching clients might go through where because they now feel so empowered um, and because they are seeing things for how they really are, yeah. that actually, you know, there's that ramification of, and I don't like it. So now I want to mm. switch up my life in some other ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I haven't run into that so much um, because what I've, what I've seen is, um, is that they feel empowered for sure. Um, but feel empowered to really own what's theirs to own. Mm -hmm. And, and it does take a certain amount of um, confidence and um, I don't know, I'm 
struggling for the word here, but we'll just go with confidence. It does take a certain amount of confidence to actually love somebody unconditionally. Mm. Maybe it's vulnerability. Yeah, maybe. Um, and kind of let them be who they are. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's important part in relationships. What I talk about so much is like, <clears throat> when we clean up what's on our side of the street, yeah. then, I mean, that really takes care of like 70% of it. Sure. And then we can figure out, you know, of that, that last 30%, those are what, what is in there that I'm really willing to die on my sword about. Mm -hmm. But when, when you go into a relationship and it's like, everything has to change, yeah. you know, that's not, that's not realistic. That's not true either. Yeah. Because so much of it is how I'm thinking about things, how I'm showing up and I'm expecting you to do all these things. Yeah. Like yeah. you make me feel good. You clean up all this stuff. You do this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Right? Nobody wants to be in that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think it's a little bit of a dance. I think that, um, but <clears throat> that empowerment part is, is critically important mm -hmm. for sure. I have not seen it so much go to the ending relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too, as you were saying that you said that was a ramification of, yeah. Um, and you know, not all, not all relationships last, maybe yeah. it's, maybe that's an appropriate closure of, yeah. um, but the, no, everybody's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Do you um, hear anything from your clients about how their significant others might be reacting to the changes that they're making and the decisions that they're making? Yeah, for the most part, very supportive. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I, I do joke with friends that I remember I, I went over to see a girlfriend's new condo and I, I brought a bottle of wine and, um, and she said, Oh, you're not drinking. And I said, Oh no, it's all for you. It's like, it's more for you <laughs> and, like, and how we treat it as I didn't feel deprived at all. And she was like, Oh, this is cool. Like she wasn't going anywhere. It's her apartment. She can drink the bottle of wine you know, whatever. Um, but I think, uh, it, it depends on how we're showing up about it too. Well, I've just recently uh, launched a stopover drinking free course. Mm -hmm. And so that's just, I tried to, I really worked hard to, to call it down to the key fundamentals, very yeah. bite-sized pieces. It's kind of the equivalent is to, you know, whenever you go on a diet and everybody says, drink your water, sure. like that's like the baseline, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, but we forget. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I got to drink my water. <laughs> so these are kind of the fundamental pieces that, um, I have seen consistently work for myself, for my clients, for thousands of others. Okay. Um, and so I do have a stopover drinking free course that they can sign up for. It's not, nobody has to show up for anything. It's all delivered via email. It's super, I try to keep it as super easy as possible. Awesome. That's your product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. Free. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> yep. we like free. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then I've got a whole page on my website that has a bunch of other resources. So there's a craving hack in there that 
Um, it's just a very short meditation. That's really helpful when you're kind of surfing that urge of, yeah. so in the oh, moment I really want it. Stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I really recommend that you download it onto your phone and you have it right there when you need that. Yeah. Lovely. Um, but there are a bunch of other things as well. So yeah. Lovely. And if someone, um, were feeling quite self-disciplined, quite committed to a decision of, let's say, not having a glass of wine tonight, um, but they get that craving, mm -hmm. you know, they've, they've got the itch for it. Is there anything that alongside, obviously, downloading the audios, but is there anything else on a sort of more practical level? Like, do you find distraction helps people or um, is that just a temporary like sticking plaster? It's a tip. It's very temporary. Um, so I, what I really love is in that moment, mm -hmm. you have a decision. I can either reinforce this neural pathway yeah. or I can start to unwind it by making a different decision. Mm -hmm. So just picture standing at that fork in the road. Yes, I can go ahead and have this. I totally can. Of course, I'm a grown adult. I can have it. But is that the behavior that I want to reinforce? Yeah. And every single decision counts. Because every decision is either reinforcing it or unwinding it. Yeah. And just owning that as, again, it's like, it's taking that ownership back of taking control of this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so critically important. I think that that's what all of us really are. I know that when I was in those, in that phase, it's just kind of grasping at straws and feeling like so out of control. Mm. And so bringing that back to the choices that we make are a yeah. thousand percent within our control. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think of, um, so in transactional analysis, where you have the sort of parent adult child model, and mm. it's the child that's going, I want a glass of wine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, you've got the parent that's like, no, you're absolutely not having it. That's not on. And then it's the adult that steps in and goes, well, let's be sensible about this. Yeah. You know, what is okay? What do we want? What's the ultimate outcome that we're looking for? Right, right, right. I'd never heard that model before. Okay. Yeah. So on. it's, mm -hmm. it's a, a nice way of kind of getting people to uh, position their own mind in mm -hmm. the different roles mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to think about like what each of them, how each of them might be responding in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very accurate. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Lovely. All right. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you about that you think might be useful to mention? Um, I think that the biggest thing is that um, there's such low awareness mm. that there are options for people that want to continue to drink, yeah. but they don't want the shitty parts of drinking, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, we are all familiar with AA and rehab, but that's an abstinence only model. Yeah. And, and that's great for the people that need that. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't always have to be that way. Mm. And my clients determine what's right for them. Yeah. Some of them still choose to go ahead and be abstinent with drinking. Yeah. It's totally fine, but there's a spectrum. Mm. And, and that I think is so important. And I think knowing that there are options available to people yeah. is so important. So that's really, I'm on a mission to increase awareness that there are choices because I see so many people that are suffering in silence because they've got shame over not having figured this out and they're smart and successful. And why, you know, 
they beat themselves up over why haven't I figured this one out? Yeah. And what I, I like to think of it is like, you can figure it out on your own, but you've tried a bunch of different things. I mean, there are choices now. Yeah. And I, I just find it such an honor and a privilege to be witness to the transformation that I see in my clients every day. And so when I see the people that are suffering like that, I just, I want to give them a big hug and say, it's, it's going to be okay. We can figure it out. Absolutely. And, and I guess the thing is, you know, people don't need to make life any more difficult than it already is by turning this into a battle. Mm-hmm. when there are people like yourself, Caroline, that are out there who are skilled and able to help and can help you navigate your way through this so that it doesn't have to be a painful process. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, my clients actually look forward to the, our sessions and say they always feel better for the most part. Sometimes I, you know, we stir a lot of stuff up and that needs to kind of integrate somehow, but that's all good. That all means that there is change happening Yeah, because doing the same thing over and over and over again, gets us the same results. So yeah, absolutely. Final question for you. How much of that stuff that might get stirred up with your clients is related to what's happening in there now versus what was happening in their past? Mm, Great question. Um, I think almost all of it is rooted in what ha- what they've kind of picked up from their past. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that be beliefs that they have about themselves or about how things should be. Mm-hmm. And now they've got a big comparison on here's my life right now. It should be different. Mm-hmm. Things should have been different, whatever it is. So yeah, I think it's all rooted in the past. Yeah, that's super interesting. Past has a lot to answer for. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What is the best way for people to reach out to you, um, to access your program? Tell us all about that. Yeah, definitely. My website is um, a great place to go. It's carolineholkecoaching.com. And I'll give you all the links. That'll be easier. Um, And then definitely Instagram or Facebook. Again, my handle is at carolineholkecoaching. So that's a great place. My um, free course is on my website. You can also link to it through Facebook or Instagram. I'm, I'd also love to offer a free coaching session to anybody, any of your listeners. So I'm happy to do that. Thank well. you so, so much. Yeah. Yeah. On their behalf, thank you very much indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. I will say um, to just a uh, plug for that is that I, so many people, <clears throat> when they get on the call with me, it's just like a palpable.